It's about you, your health, your family, and your community. This is Sunday Morning Magazine with your host, Rodney Lear. And good morning. Hope you're having a great weekend. Welcome to another edition of Sunday Morning Magazine. Remember, for more information on the show or to join the conversation this morning, all you have to do is go to our Facebook page, Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear on Facebook. Head there now and like us there now. You can also listen to the show anytime you like. Just go to your favorite podcast app and subscribe to Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear. We begin this morning with Laura Mitchell. Laura is superintendent of Cincinnati Public Schools. It's our pleasure to welcome Laura Mitchell to Sunday Morning Magazine. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule. I feel like, okay, this was my Christmas present because we've been working on this interview for such a long time. (laughs) Since Christmas, I think I found out around Christmas that we're actually going to have you on, right? Yes. Thank you so much for the opportunity. All right. So one thing that I didn't know, I didn't know you were a product of Cincinnati Public Schools yourself. So am I. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah. So what school did you... I attended Bond Hill Elementary uh, in kindergarten through sixth grade, and then seventh through twelfth grade, I attended the school for the Creative and Performing Arts. Okay, so let's talk more background information on you. Again, we know that you're a product of Cincinnati Public Schools, but before you stepped into the role as superintendent, what were you doing behind? Did you start off as an educator, or yes? So I decided not to pursue the arts as a career after graduating from <laughs> SCPA. Um, so I attended college for undergrad in Greensboro, North Carolina, where I studied elementary education. After um, finishing my degree, I moved to right outside of Atlanta, Georgia, to Athens, Georgia, where I taught in a very affluent area. Then moved back to Cincinnati and taught in one of our um, inner city schools that is now closed. And that experience was really a life-changing experience for me. Um, it really mattered whether or not I showed up every day for my kids. And so um, really knew then that um, urban education was the place for me. I then became the assistant principal of Westwood School for a year, the principal of Westwood for four years. And after leaving that role, I became a, a coach working with other principals across the district. And then I left the district for a while to work with an educational foundation in San Francisco, where I worked with five large urban districts across the nation each month on leadership development. And then I came back to Cincinnati as a deputy superintendent, where I served in that role uh, for 12 years doing curriculum instruction, professional development, school turnaround. And now I am in my second year as a superintendent. All right. Good. Good for you. Now, when you took over the position, what were your immediate concerns and what were your priorities when you took over this position two years ago? I was most focused on and still am very much focused on making sure that our young people have a future after they graduate from Cincinnati Public Schools. And so um, I believe that we're not only responsible for getting our kids that diploma, getting them to walk across the stage, but more importantly, get them accepted into a career pathway. And I mean 100% of them accept into career pathway upon graduation. So that means that we know for sure that either our young um, people are going to enlist into the military, they're going to enroll in some form of schooling after graduation, or they're going to be gainfully employed. And so that was really my major concern. It was a major concern, especially as I consider the state that Cincinnati is in as it relates to childhood poverty. 
And I believe that um, making sure that we are raising up a generation of young people who can take care of themselves and their families is one aspect of how we can address the childhood poverty issue within Cincinnati. It isn't just addressing the families who are currently in need, which is extremely important, but it's also really focused on looking towards the future and making sure our kids have the skills to be successful once they leave our doors. And so that was is my main focus, pre-K through 12th grade. Everything that we do should be centered around preparing our young people for what happens next. Mm-hmm. Good point. Good point. So, you know, I volunteer within the Cincinnati Public Schools, and I'm learning that each one of these kids, especially in the, the neighborhoods that I volunteer in, I grew up in Wind Terrace, and that's where I spend most of my time volunteering with students. And you learn that these kids have a backstory. Each one of them have a backstory. So it's not just has to be extremely difficult for the educators because it's hard to even get to the education part because you have so much social work on the front end. So that's one thing that I'm learning, and I'm sure that's what you know, right? Yes. Yeah, so, so first of all, thank you for volunteering in our schools. We really need um, to put in front of our young people people who have come up through Cincinnati Public Schools, but also people who are just interested in giving back. And so often when that happens, um, our young people ask um, our mentors and our tutors over and over again in different ways, how do I get from where I am today to where you are? So first of all, thank you so much for doing that. Um, In terms of our students having a backstory, you know, everyone has a backstory, no matter where you come from in life. I think the really important thing, though, to to really focus on and capitalize on is that your zip code shouldn't determine your life, um, your future. Mm-hmm. And so your forever life, your forever life. Yes, absolutely. And so although many of our kids have a backstory, as we all do, these are very talented, very young, um, very um, excited and very smart young people who just need someone like you, a caring adult, in addition to the teachers and the principals, to really pay attention to them and help them chart a pathway to success. And so I think it's so critically important to have mentors and to have tutors within our schools. But to get to the issue that you're talking about in terms of um, there are obviously, quite honestly, many difficulties our students are dealing with and are facing. Mm -hmm. And, And I would like to say that Oftentimes, people want to put a label on urban education or urban kids and say, well, these kids this and these kids that. Um, My experience has been uh, working within Cincinnati Public Schools as well as working within an affluent school district um, in Athens, Georgia, and visiting school districts across the nation doing consulting work. Kids are kids, really. Mm -hmm. And um, our kids have just... Um, they have the same potential as the kids in suburban districts, uh, as well as non-public and private. In many instances, our kids just don't have access to the opportunities that many of these other children experience. And so um, you're right. We, we, we pull double duty in many instances, making sure that they have the social and emotional um, learning needs that are required for them to be successful, making sure that their basic survival needs are met. We have a lot of young people within our district who are homeless, and so making sure that they have somewhere to stay and also have access to going to school, making sure that they have the proper clothing, the materials, the backpacks. But again, although we do all of those things, it is all really related to making sure that our kids are prepared to academically 
focus on student achievement once they're in our, our schools. All right. And in case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Sunday Morning Magazine. I'm Rodney Lear. In the studio with me is Laura Mitchell. She is superintendent of Cincinnati Public Schools. Now, you know, although we have some schools that are performing well, there are a number of CPS schools that are not and some that are on academic probation. And watch what are you doing um, to work with those schools to get them out of that? Yes. So a number of years ago, we um, worked with a turnaround program within our school district, and we saw some really good results with that. And so to be honest with you, we've expanded that work. But in addition to deepening and expanding that work, we have a very unique and unusual partnership with Children's Hospital, Hmm. not necessarily on the medical end of the work, but in quality improvement. And so um, we have been working with Children's Hospital over the last couple of years because they have a methodology that is centered around the science of improvement. And so they teach us how do you get the same um, positive, reliable results over and over again, even in student achievement. And so we've taken that model, that continuous improvement model, and we are applying it to our schools. And that means that we're able to look at specific Um, needs that a child has and be able to categorize those needs and say, here's the prescription that I'm going to try to address that. And the prescription is a learning strategy. And so we test these learning strategies that are identified through research and we are able to pinpoint which strategies actually yield high results with our kids. And so we started that in a very small test with five schools and next year we um, intend to expand it beyond those five schools but we have seen some improvement in our academic achievement. We've seen some academic achievement improvement as it relates to our third grade literacy in which we first started to use this quality improvement model. And so that's what we're, we're really focused on, um, the science of improvement. It also involves tutoring and mentoring. But at the end of the day, it really has to be the core instruction that the teacher delivers. And we want to make sure that the teachers have enough tools in their toolbox to find the, the specific strategy that address the needs for the specific students. And so we're on this journey with Children's Hospital and are very excited about that partnership and the work that we're doing and the success that we're already seeing. Okay. So I want to talk about testing because, you know, I again, I'm in the building. I, I see, yes. I know a lot of focus is on testing. A lot of, I've been to some schools where that's the total focus is testing, testing, testing. Do you feel like kids, I think some parents, you talk to parents, they think the kids are over-tested. Let's talk about testing within CPS. Your thoughts? So to be really quite honest with you, a number of years ago when um, the initiative was started, No Child Left Behind, which really introduced um, widespread testing across states, um, it was really in an effort to make sure that there was a level playing field, that kids all across the United States were getting the same valuable education um, as other kids in other places. Um, and so, quite honestly, I can see the, the, the need for some level of testing, which holds us accountable for teaching the skills that the kids need to know to perform. I just believe that the pendulum, it just went way too far with the amount of testing that we um, do with our young people through the state. Um, but it also um, isn't the only measure to identify how successful a student is. And so I think that we've just gone way too far and put way too much value on testing. 
Um, the reason that you see our schools are so focused on testing is because the state gives out designations. So you're a school, a school that's deemed ineffective or a school that's an F school or a D school. And of course, schools don't like to have that label on them. And, um, when you think about that, it's, it's damaging and it's not productive, quite honestly. Imagine yourself being a principal or a teacher or better yet, a student in a school that's labeled as an F school. And so that doesn't, doesn't feel good to anyone. It's not productive to anyone. Um, and so I think that we, that the state, that the federal government has just gone way too far with the amount of testing that we do. Um, we, we test our, our little third graders, which are, they're eight years old. And we give them an online assessment in which they have to write essays online. And so if they don't have the proficient keyboarding skills, by the time they're able to find the letters to do the typing, they've forgotten their concept. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we do um, provide um, keyboarding that actually starts in kindergarten mm. with our young people. But I think that the pressure that we put on them is just so great. You have little third graders who are literally crying, stressed out over passing a test because they understand that if they don't make a, a, um, a promotable score, then they will not pass to the fourth grade. Mm-hmm. And so do I, I think that some level of testing is important? Absolutely. But I think that we've just gone way too far. Um, I think that we should really have our sights on tests that are national tests like the ACT, Mm-hmm. And identify what are the benchmarks we're going to put in place to get our kids to be able to be successful on the ACT when they take it in the 10th or the 11th grade. And so um, advanced placement scores is another place I think that we should put our efforts. But I think we need to look at really what's developmentally appropriate for these very young children. All right. Honest answer. I like that. All right. And again, in case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Sunday Morning Magazine. I'm Rodney Lear in the studio with Laura Mitchell. She is superintendent of Cincinnati Public Schools. To join the conversation or for more information, you can like us on our Facebook page, Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear on Facebook. Head there now and like us there now. So I want to talk about teachers. They are the cornerstone, right? To education. Um, Let's talk about what, how you evaluate teachers and what's in place there. What should parents know? to make them comfortable? Sure. So our teachers are under an, a, an evaluation system that's um, it's governed by the state. And it, there are two components to it. There's a teacher performance component. So that's the actual teaching that you do in the classroom, which includes observations that the principal or assistant principals conduct against some standards that are outlined by the state. And then there are also student academic growth measures. And so... Um, even if a student isn't proficient at the end of the year, did they grow from the time they entered the classroom until the time that they're leaving the classroom? And so those are the two ways that um, teachers are measured in the state of Ohio. I would say that within Cincinnati Public, though, we're most interested in a coaching model that moves the mark for our people. And so what I mean when I say that is to say that someone on an evaluation is effective or ineffective or unsatisfactory places a mark. It's a designation. You're this, you're that, or the other. Mm-hmm. And what we're really most interested in is moving the mark for our for our teachers. So if you are deemed a satisfactory teacher, how can we move you to become an effective teacher? If you're already an effective teacher, how can we do, how can we move you to make you an outstanding teacher? And so as just as we talk about growth for our students, I think we should also consider the growth of our um, our professionals in terms of our teaching staff as well. 
Okay. Um, so let's talk about this now. I know you guys recently acquired Mercy High School, that location. What are the plans? What do we know? Is there anything you can tell us about that? I know that there was a big meeting about that, but what can you tell us at this date? Yeah. Absolutely, I can talk about Mercy. I'm very excited about it. Here's what I'm most excited, though, about. I'm excited about the fact that Cincinnati Public School, our enrollment is growing, which mm-hmm. is the reason we purchased Mercy. Okay. So Cincinnati is the fastest growing urban district in the state of Ohio. Where other districts are losing enrollment, Cincinnati is growing enrollment. And that isn't just because families are moving into the city. Families who are already here are now choosing to send their kids to Cincinnati Public Schools. So since 2012, our enrollment has grown over 4,000 students. In the state of Ohio, if you take all the large urban districts and put them together, so that's Canton and Cleveland and Youngstown and Dayton um, and Akron, if you put them together, they've only grown by about 682 students from 2012 to now. In their totality, CPS has grown by over 4,000 kids. And that's because we are offering our parents lots of choice, lots of high quality choices, whether you're talking about our neighborhood schools or our magnet programs or our high schools. And because of that, our enrollment is growing. So last school year, we actually had to open two new buildings. Many urban districts are closing schools. We're opening schools. And so actually, I'm sorry, three buildings. So we reopened Carthage and it has preschool classrooms in it. We um, opened Spencer, which is a school for gifted kids and kids who are um, identified as exceptional. And then we opened a school called Leap on the west side of town. And it's a Spanish school. Hmm. Next year, we will be opening two additional schools. Mercy will be one of them. And actually, if you think about it in this way, it's, it's, it's three schools. So we're going to reopen the Clifton School. We'll be opening next fall. And um, Gamble Montessori, which is on the west side of town, which is a high school, will be moving into the Mercy building. Mm-hmm. So we'll be, we will be opening Mercy as a new site. And then we anticipate taking the Gamble building and opening it as a Montessori elementary school. Oh, wow. So very exciting news in terms of the growth for CPS. And quite honestly, we continue to look for space to build and or property to acquire to open more and more schools. All right. I need to get in the real estate business, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. All right. So let's talk about this now. Technology. It's growing. You talked about building new buildings, uh, but technology is growing. What are you guys at CPS, Cincinnati Public Schools, what are you guys doing to keep students up to date and and trend with the technology? This is another area that I'm very excited about. So um, fourth through 12th grade, we have a one-to-one technology initiative. So all fourth through 12th graders have their own laptop that they can use during the school day. It is assigned to them. And they use it periodically throughout the day for assignments and projects and homework um, for research. And so we started that um, process about four years ago. And we did a rollout phase with seventh and eighth grade. And then we expanded to nine and 12. And then we dropped down the other way. And so we have a lot of technology within our schools. And we've also provided a lot of professional development for our teachers um, in terms of how to use that technology. Um, I am um, a, a, a digital immigrant. Okay. Technology is not my first, um, <laughs> you, know, you know, my first tool. Okay. But many of our young people, they are digital natives. Mm-hmm. They're growing up with cell phones and tablets. And so in order for us not even to step into the future, but to step into current 
everyday reality, our kids have to have access to technology. And so we made that a major part of our work. And so um, not only do our kids have access to the technology in the classrooms, but we have many take-home programs where our young people can take them home. And we also have hotspots for our young people to take it home so that they have access to Wi-Fi. What we're really about throughout all the work that we're doing is removing barriers for our kids and making sure that all of our kids have equity built within. So if you need a laptop to take it home to use, then we want to give it to you. If you go home and you don't have Wi-Fi, but your other classmate does, we want to make sure that you have Wi-Fi at home too. So we're trying to, again, remove barriers and level the playing field for all of our kids. In addition to um, all of the uh, laptops that our kids have access to, we also, with the... um, the innovation of our um, chief information officer, we have something called a tech truck, which is a truck that she had outfitted with all of the latest, coolest technology that we have in our schools. And you can go inside. It it pulls up to uh, schools. It's on a a schedule. And teachers can come out of the school, go into this tech truck, and have some one-on-one time with a person who can teach them how to use those devices within their classrooms. And so We're constantly trying to come up with innovative ways to um, incorporate technology into our work, whether it's with the teachers or whether it's with our students. We do have a blended learning program. We actually have several blended learning programs. So we have some sixth graders at some elementary schools who are taking Algebra 1 at Walnut Hills through a blended learning model. And so there's a large um, smart board within the room. Um, on both ends, and the teacher at Walnut can see them when they raise their hand to ask questions. And so, again, this allows that distance learning to take place, which, again, is really about equity. Let's give our kids what they need, and let's not hold them to this, um, this these four walls called school, mm-hmm. but let's open it up so they have more um, advantages. We um, have a blended learning um, advanced placement course offering. So we have um, five courses that we offer through blended learning. Those um, high school courses, the, the young people, they take their technology home. Part of their instruction is through an online um, platform. The other is they meet face-to-face with the teacher twice a week, and they actually have instruction. And it's very similar to what you're seeing happening on many college and university Mm -hmm. campuses across the United States. So, again, it's not even about moving our kids into the future. It's moving them into current reality and giving them all the advantages that they will need to be successful once they leave our doors. All right. And, again, in case you're just tuning in, we're speaking to Laurel Mitchell, Superintendent of Cincinnati Public Schools. I'm Rodney Lear. You're listening to Sunday Morning Magazine. Now, I like to ask this question because... Because, you know, as parents, we're out here, we're listening this morning. What is it, you educators, what do you want from us parents? Um, you know, we send our kids to Cincinnati Public Schools. What are you asking of us parents? Because the responsibility starts at home. First of all, I know that for sure. But what do you want as educators? We want parents to be engaged into what's going on at school. And so um, we see engagement in lots of different ways. So it doesn't mean that a parent has to be at the school every single week to be engaged or to care about their child's education. And so we've really flipped that model in terms of we want you to be aware of what's going on, whether you can come to the school or not. And so if you can't, if you don't have the opportunity to come to the school often, then we want you to be able to log on to Schoology, which is something, a portal that all of our parents have access to to get students assignments to see their grades to see how they're progressing 
Um, we want parents to be engaged by writing to the teacher. Many of our kids have agendas. And so look at the agendas that they bring home and um, make comments and send that information back into the teacher. So we want parents to be engaged in school, but we also realize and recognize that um, our parents can't necessarily always be at the school. We want you to ask us questions, to inquire about your child's education. We want you to inquire about opportunities that you want to see for your child. We want you to tell us, what do you want to see for your child? And that's so important for us so that we can make sure that we're providing that for you. Um, But we want people to be engaged. But again, it looks different in different ways. And and I can speak from firsthand experience. Uh, My husband and I are, are raising a um, eight-year-old uh, granddaughter. She's a, a CPS student. And um, last school year, I missed her. And it's really sad to say, but I missed her winter program mm-hmm. because I was at another school working. Mm-hmm. And so my husband went for me. But I give you that example because sometimes people will say, well, parents don't care because they don't come to the school. And that's not the case. Mm-hmm. No one can say, I didn't care or I don't care about my, my granddaughter's education. But at the same time, I had a job to do somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And that's the case for many of our parents. Many of our working families can't have or don't have the luxury to come to the school all the time. And so we have to find ways to meet them where they are, to assume positive attentions and to um make the first effort to be in contact with our families. But we want our families to be engaged in a way that makes sense for you and your family. Know what's going on. Let's talk about bullying because, you know, I walk into the schools and I see the messages on the board. I see, I mean, literally, but let's talk about bullying because it does happen in, in the school system. It does. Bullying happens, quite honestly, it happens everywhere. Mm -hmm. Bullying is really a societal issue that makes its way to the steps of our school. And so um, this isn't something that we're shying away from. We are really taking um, a a proactive role in our efforts around bullying. So we we drive anti-bullying campaigns within our schools. We have a peer leadership program in which we... Um, have worked with peer leaders within our schools to develop anti-bullying campaigns, but not from the adult perspective, but from the student perspective. And um, we had a a group of high school um, young ladies who did an anti-bullying campaign on social media. And I probably would not have thought of that because they see a lot of bullying that takes place on social media. And so, again, it's from the student perspective. We've um, worked with an external consultant to hold forums um, to hear from our kids firsthand about the impact of bullying, to hear from families, to also hear from um, um, staff members. And we've put that information together to come up with a strategy around how to address bullying. Uh, What's really, really different um, and complicated about bullying um, today Unlike when I was a child, obviously there was bullying when I was a child, but but I, I had a chance to, to sit in to one of the, the groups of uh, young women who were talking about bullying. These were kids who were uh, ages 6 to 16 from a variety of schools, and I was just sitting and listening. And what they talked about is the fact that there used to be a time that you might be bullied at school or bullied in the neighborhood. But when you got to your home, it was a safe zone. That's no longer the case with social media bullying. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. So you can be in the confines of your home and get on social media and the kids are saying they're experiencing bullying that way. Um, And so that was really eye-opening to me in terms of the strategies that we use to help address even bullying that happens on social media. So we have someone at the central office level who is dedicated to um, a bully button that we have. So you can go on our website. You can be a student, a parent, um, a community member. And if you see someone being bullied or you're experiencing, then you can go on and press that button. And it sends a message to um, Meg Burles, who is our school social worker. This is her full-time job. And she will go out and she will work with the school around the individual situations and really try um, to to come to some resolution. So that's one strategy that we're using is our bully button with Meg Burles. And she's the person who is the connection between the school and the, the person who reported the bullying. Um, we also have our anti-bullying campaigns that almost all of our schools are driving within our our um, school communities. Our focus really is on how do you create a community of kindness um, from all perspectives that if you're being bullied, what can you do about it? But also, you know, the research shows that there's so much power in the bystander. And mm-hmm. so how can you, if you're um, observing it, what can you do? How can you create a, a, a culture and a community of kindness? Um, and so we're looking at that from that approach in terms of our campaigns, uh, our student-led campaigns, in addition to the sessions that we've held to hear what students have had to say, parents, teachers, and community members. Um, we, expand, we intend to expand our program and our offerings next year. I was actually just in a meeting this morning with representatives from FC Cincinnati, and they're going to be launching a program um, that is an anti-bullying program within our schools. And so um, we see this as an opportunity to be helpful in a societal issue that's made its way to our doors. All right. What is the most difficult part of your job, being superintendent for Cincinnati Public Schools? What's the most difficult part of what you do? Many superintendents say would say that uh, their most challenging decision to make is whether to close school or not when it's cold or snowing outside or icy. Um, I would say that one of the most difficult things is to really keep a laser-like focus on our mission when there are so many stakeholder groups who want to be engaged Um in things that may not be on our mission. Hmm. And so it's it, you, you have to know your true north um, to be able to accept the assistance of um, outside or external um, constituents without losing your mission and your goal and your purpose. So we at Cincinnati, we're not confused at CPS. We are very clear that our goal is educating our kids. There are many partners who come to the table to provide other um, resources to us that, quite honestly, is not our mission. It's not our level of expertise. And all of those um, organizations or people coming, I think it is it is very important to stay very clear and very true to what your mission is and not look up one day and see that you're completely off mission and you don't have the educational impact that your organization or your your district is designed to do. And so um, we're reshaping some of our partnerships and we're really saying 
what's the mission impact for CPS? And so I think that's probably one of the most difficult things because there are a lot of really well-intentioned people who want to get engaged and want to do things, and we want them there. But we have to stay laser-focused on what our mission is. All right, and with that, we're running out of time this morning. Your final thoughts, Laura Mitchell, Superintendent of Cincinnati Public Schools, as we talk about local education. I want to say to parents and community, Cincinnati is becoming a place of destination And Cincinnati Public is a major part of that. We educate over 36,000 kids across 65 school sites at the moment with a wide array of magnet programs, neighborhood schools, and high schools. This is the place that you want to be if you are a parent who's looking for a school. This is the place that you want to be for a student because we have a lot of engaging, exciting things Um, in store for you within our district. And this is also the place that you want to be if you're looking for employment in a school district. We are on the cutting edge with our talent development, with our employee focus. And so this is a place that we believe you want to be. In addition, we believe that we are contributing to the success of the region because we are graduating young people who are ready for the real world. And so that's what I want people to know about Cincinnati Public Schools. All right. Well, with that, we're out of time this morning. Thank you so much, Laura. Really appreciate you taking time to talk to us. We've been speaking to Laura Mitchell, superintendent of Cincinnati Public Schools. Again, for more information on the show, you can like us on our Facebook page, Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear. Coming up later in the show, we introduce you to 21 women who change the way we think. That's coming up later in the show as Sunday Morning Magazine continues. More to come. Stay with us.